the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. All right, it's Wednesday, just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. I trust you're doing well. We made it to the midpoint here in uh, the week. And uh, as we lead off today's program, pretty full agenda for you. We're going to have an update a little bit later on in tonight's broadcast regarding the status of AB 2943. We'll also be joined in the program by Dr. Glenn Mollette. Dr. Mollette is an internationally recognized author. In fact, 12 best-selling books to his title, and he is the president of Newborough College. We're not going to talk, though, about his educational discipline or any of his books. We're going to talk about his experiences dealing with colon cancer. I know not a topic that is oftentimes uh, considered a polite conversation around the dinner table, but a very important one. And we'll break it down for you as to why coming up a little bit later on in tonight's program. All right, let's get a look at what's going on with progress concerning the major fires that have been developing around the state of California. I'll mention, by the way, here in the um, western Marin County, uh, there's a grass fire this afternoon that firefighters there have been dealing with. And so uh, be aware of that. Let's talk a bit about what's going on between uh, the Mendocino Complex fire Ferguson Fire and the Car Fire. We get the latest from Jonathan Cox, spokesman with Cal Fire. Jonathan, I know that you guys are getting starting to get uh, pretty weary fighting this uh, these multiple blazes uh, this early on in the fire season. Give us an update as to where things stand with these major fires right now. Yeah, so we're still at uh, over 600,000 acres that have burned in the last few weeks across California. Uh, the Mendocino Complex and the Car Fire are both holding at 47% today and probably about 7 p.m. tonight we should have increased numbers on both of those fires. Uh, some of the good news is the areas that are heavily populated around Clear Lake uh, and the Redding areas, the plans to get people uh, back home are coming along. So our priority right now is to get people back into the populated areas uh, as we continue to work on putting in fire line in, in the more remote parts of these fires. What is your sense in terms of the weather? Are you starting to get a little bit more cooperation there in that regard? You know, we've had a beneficial two days here, yesterday and today, of uh, kind of uh, a more stable lower temperature weather. Uh, that It's not great for air quality, but it's good for firefighters to use to make some progress on these fires. The concern we have now is tonight through Saturday, we actually have another red flag warning coming into Northern California. And anytime you get those conditions, uh, it obviously always challenges firefighters because we get a little bit of wind and some higher temperatures that are going to test our fire lines. I heard on a competing broadcast outlet earlier today that there was some speculation that uh, complete containment, meaning over and done with, could take us all the way into September. Is that still the case? Yeah, for the Mendocino complex, that's the estimated full uh, containment date. 
if you think about, you know, the northern part of this fire up the Mendocino Forest is burning literally in areas that have no roads. So it's just access and uh, getting in and getting out is, is going to take some time and effort. Uh, and then put on top of that that the size of this fire, over 300,000 acres, just means that there's hundreds of miles of containment line that we have to build uh, up in that area. So it's going to take weeks. Um, it's, you know, concurrently happening as we fight other fires in California. Um, and as we respond to new ones every day as well. I'm curious, when you can't get equipment in, when you can't get bulldozers in to be able to create uh, fire lines, uh, what's the next option? Is it all done by air? Uh, it's done by air, and we hike people in. At the end of the day, we will get crews in there. We'll either fly them and drop them off, or we'll hike them in. Uh, if, if need be, we can set up spike camps. We can actually set up some uh, mobile uh, feeding and uh, water stations so that they can have subsistence while they're out there. Uh, and literally hike these fire lines and and cut lines, basically dig into the dirt until they can start to make some containment. Do you have any idea at this point, given the enormity of these fires burning across California, what are we talking about in terms of the number of firefighters fighting and the amount of apparatus? It's got to be a pretty staggering number. Yeah, so we have uh, 14, actually over 14,000 firefighters on the line right now, and that, that is a new record for California, unfortunately. Uh, it includes firefighters from 17 different states as well as two other countries, Australia and New Zealand. So it's a massive uh, force out there uh, uh, getting containment on these fires. Um, as far as, uh, you know, the other the complexity is, is we always have kind of new fires starting every day, and uh, those can quickly grow into fires that threaten areas or communities. So beyond just having firefighters on the line, we have to have sufficient firefighters uh, back in their home stations and units to make sure new fire or new fires do stay small. Do we have a handle on, and I, and I realize that oftentimes you really don't get the full picture of this until much afterwards once the fire is out and you can bring in uh, teams to, to investigate. But in terms of origin, as you talk about even new fires that might crop up here and there, I talked about one here in Marin. There was over uh, one over uh, yesterday in the Sonol. Uh, Percentages, how many of these are man-made? How many of these can we prevent? Yeah, on average, about 95% of all fires in California, vegetation fires, are human-caused. So that can be everything from a vehicle, it can be a cigarette, it can be uh, mowing and striking a rock. So uh, overwhelmingly, these are human-caused incidents, um, whether malicious or accidental. And uh, the thing to remember right now in California is we're pretty early on in the peak fire season. So there's a lot of kind of runway left as far as how long we have to get through the rest of this uh, this year. Uh, and it's just, you know, it, 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 it's an example of how, you know, it takes everybody in California to be just hyper vigilant at the moment that the smallest accident or, uh, or act out in outside areas can cause one of these major fires. Yeah, we want to go out and enjoy nature, and we certainly applaud that idea, but to be extra, extra cautious seems to be sort of the new watchword. You know, we hear these these amazing, almost unbelievable numbers in terms of size of fire and the the rapidness of growth. Uh, one estimate was the car fire was, what, 10 times the size of, of San Francisco and Oakland combined? Some, some just really staggering number. And then you look at that and say yes and realize, though, that this only percent uh, per, uh, represents a very small percentile of the amount of additional fuel and kindling that's out there waiting for somebody to do something stupid. So I would imagine, Jonathan, this is really the time, given the fact that we're so early on in the fire season that typically runs into October, that we really, really need to be extra careful. Absolutely, yeah. And we, we keep echoing that message. You know, the, the Mendocino fire 
uh, over the weekend, it burned 55,000 acres in one single day. So the rates of spread that we're seeing are kind of off the chart right now. Uh, and we just want to do everything we can across the state to prevent any more of these from occurring. If anybody has seen the video, and it's available online, you can find it on YouTube, of the fire tornado that made its way through a portion of the car fire outside of Redding that was probably about a week ago, uh, that, if anything, will give you a major wake-up call as to why we need to be extra, extra careful. And even here in the Bay Area, you know, we've got a lot of areas that encroach into uh, suburban, and, and uh, you know, we, we love trees and all that. I do, too. If you've got them in your area, clearing brush around your home, uh, creating defensible lines, being extra cautious when you're out enjoying our forests here in California, really, really critically important, not only for the sake of um, the property, but most importantly for the sake of life. Jonathan Cox, we appreciate, Jonathan, you taking time to uh, keep us updated and uh, continue to wish you uh, ongoing success in battling these fires. Thanks so much. There's Jonathan Cox, spokesman on behalf of Cal Fire. All right, let's be extra, extra diligent. We really have to be. And this is beyond just the notion of, well, you know, we've had periods of drought and uh, we've got a lot of kindling that's out there just waiting for an errant spark or flame to uh, get hold of. And, And this is all indeed true. But when you think about last year's fires to the north of us in Sonoma, Napa, Santa Rosa, the extreme damage that was done there, the fact that we have three massive fires burning simultaneously, uh, two in Northern California, and of course the Ferguson fire down towards Yosemite. Uh, Yosemite? Yosemite. <laughs> Yosemite. Uh, it's critically important that we really, really do everything we can uh, to prevent forest fires. And, you know, when, when we were kids, remember Smokey the Bear? Yeah. They'd take a little advice from Smokey the Bear. All right, we're at uh, 5.15. Let's get you updated on some traffic here, shall we? And we'll head over to the KFAX Traffic Center, where Nick stands by with the latest. Nick, what's going on? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Good afternoon as we continue on this Wednesday edition of Lifeline, 21 minutes after the hour. Let's pivot to another topic. We reported on the program yesterday that with the return of the California State Legislature, they would be revisiting a number of items that got kind of kind of put on the back burner. Uh, a number of really nasty bills making their way through this legislative session. And now that they are back to work, Well, they're going to be back to creating more problems. One of the bills that we have been following for you has been Assembly Bill 2943. Now, they did not vote on it on Monday. They didn't vote yesterday. They didn't vote today. But they may likely vote tomorrow. We get the latest now from Jonathan Keller, Executive Director of the California Family Alliance. Jonathan, in terms of this delay, we anticipated that there would be a vote pretty soon after their return. Can we read anything into why it's been delayed a couple of days here? Well, Craig, I wish, uh, first off, thanks very much for having me on. Always great to be with you and your listeners. I I wish that we could say that um, this is a positive sign, but reality is it's just too soon to tell. Um, the good news is we have seen thousands, um, really at this point tens of thousands, of concerned Christians from across California uh, standing up, calling their legislators, reaching out, and we can hope and pray that that is actually having an effect. Um, we do know that some of the legislators are listening to these calls from people. Uh, a specific Southern California representative actually received over 3,000 calls 
from a church in her district. And as a result, she personally reached out to the pastor and uh, wanted to find out why so many people were calling and wanted to hear the concerns. So it is, it is certainly possible that the work that you and many of our other friends in the media across the state have been doing to raise awareness is having an impact. But now is not the time to let up. We need to continue to press and to tell our legislators that this assault on free speech and free exercise of religion is just unacceptable. We've heard a few people speculate, well, it's not unusual for the California state legislature to do things like this. After all, we had a recent battle regarding requiring, for example, pro-life clinics across the state to have to post what essentially turned out to be advertisements for abortion clinics, things of that sort. That ended up getting argued all the way to the United States Supreme Court. It's not unusual that we've seen these kind of battles, but we always have the relief of the courts. Is there any comfort in that, or is that kind of fool's folly to count on something like that? Well, I'll give you a two-part answer. Um, on the one hand, you're 100% correct. We've been very blessed, actually, um, in comparison to a lot of the horrible court decisions we've seen over the last decades. You know, Roe v. Wade and um, Obergefell v. Hodges, you know, all these different cases um, that have really attacked the rights of people of faith. Um, remarkably, in the last several years, specifically, we've seen some huge victories. Um, most recently, you mentioned the Pregnancy Care Center case. Um, that's the good news. I, I do think that if this bill is passed, I know for a fact that our friends at groups like Alliance Defending Freedom, Pacific Justice Institute, and others, I know for a fact that they will challenge it in court. We've already been working with them, talking about plaintiffs and a legal strategy. But really, Craig, this goes to show, I think, a disappointing thing that our legislature in Sacramento is is failing to get the message. Um, after that wonderful win in the Nifla v. Becerra Pregnancy Center case you mentioned, you would think, or you would at least hope, that our legislators there in the Capitol would kind of maybe take a step back, maybe practice some self-examination. But on the very day that the decision was handed down, one of the co-authors of the original bill attacking these pregnancy resource clinics actually issued two statements that, if your listeners haven't heard, they really will make them uh, gasp, I think. The first one, Assemblywoman Autumn Burke said that today in this ruling, Justice Clarence Thomas, writing for the majority, fired a shot across the bow of the California legislature, and next session it's going to be up to us to fire three more right back. I mean, the level of hubris and arrogance of, of attacking the Supreme Court was shocking. But then she said something even more chilling. She followed up that statement by saying, well, last time we asked these pregnancy centers politely to stop lying. I guess we're going to have to be a little bit less polite next time. I guess so. <laughs> Boy, it, it's amazing the lack of utter disrespect coming out of the state legislature on behalf of the citizens of this state, the taxpayers, family members, the voters, I mean, the, the whole nine yards. And it seems as if they're, they're just going to drill down on this agenda and drill down on it until they get their way. And there's where we really need to speak up. You have identified a handful of potential members of the California State Senate that we need to be in contact with, along with the governor, to urge a no vote as this potentially goes uh, to vote tomorrow. That'll be um, Thursday, August the 9th. Uh, 
anybody in particular here that you think we should put special pressure on, Jonathan? I note that one of them is um, here in our Bay Area, Bill Dodd, who, of course, uh, for Bay Area listeners, Bill, of course, represents Solano, Sonoma, parts of Contra Costa and Napa counties. But aside from Bill, anybody in specific here that they need to be hearing from? Well, I, I would certainly say, as you mentioned, um, a lot of times legislators are particularly receptive to people in their district. So certainly Senator Dodd would be very good. Um, I would also strongly encourage um, Senator Ross and uh, Senator Wayso. Um, I, really, the list of people that we have on our special website, 2943.com, that list is a great place to start. It only takes a few minutes to make those eight phone calls. And I would, I would implore your listeners, um, the vote, as you said, could come as early as 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. So I would, I would urge people, leave a message tonight or call first thing in the morning, and you can be respectful. We have some great talking points for you there at maybe2943.com. But also, don't neglect to pray, because we know that ultimately this is a spiritual battle and we need people to both be fervently storming the Capitol with their phone calls, but also storming heaven with their prayers. Absolutely. So, you know, that, that of course, is the, is the sort of the frontline number one responsibility that all of us have to do in being that salt and light that we are all called to be. And so uh, praying on behalf of the state, praying on behalf of our leaders of the state, that God would give wisdom, that the Lord would intervene, that his will would be done in any of these circumstances, no matter what the kind of crazy legislation may be. And we know down through the years we've talked about a lot of it. And then in addition to being responsive in that regard, in the spiritual warfare end of this, then you need to be engaged in this business of self-governance. I think that Lincoln put it so well in the Gettysburg Address when he spoke about government of, by, and for the people. This isn't them doing it to us. It is we the people, and we the people have a responsibility to participate in the process of self-governance and let our elected representatives know how we feel. So here's a chance for you to operate and exercise not only your responsibilities as a citizen of the kingdom, but also as a citizen of the United States. Again, more information available, CaliforniaFamilyAlliance.org. We have an entire list of representatives from across the state. I'll call out specifically here in the Bay Area, Bill Dodd. You can reach him at his Capitol office, which is area code 916-651-4403. That's 916-651-4403. And I also want to underscore reaching out to the governor and asking for a veto should this get to his desk. Telephone number in Sacramento for Governor Brown's office, 916-445-2841. That's 916-445-2841. Meanwhile, urging you to contact every member of the California State Legislature, and I would do it, uh, you know, today. Let them hear from you by phone. Let me let them hear from you by email. And if you're not certain who your representative is, well, contact all of them. Or you can certainly go online if you Google who is my state senator, put in your zip code. Google will take you to the right place where you can contact them both by phone and by email. It's urgent. The clock is ticking right now. The vote may come as soon as tomorrow. And so it's critically important that you let your voice be heard in Sacramento. Our thanks again to Jonathan Keller, Executive Director of the California Family Alliance, for that update. All right, let's get updated here on traffic. We'll head back over to the KFAX Traffic Center. Nick, what's going on out there? 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the conversation. 535 here on the Wednesday edition of Lifeline. We pivot to a topic that I realize will make some folks uncomfortable. And I have to tell you by way of my own personal experience that uh, it, it did me too. In fact, every time the issue was discussed with my physician on an annual basis, it was one of those, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, I'm, yeah, I got to get that done, okay, and then would have the information slip. What is it that they give you? They, they give you the, 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 the doctor's orders, you know, to, to have a procedure done, and that would get put on a magnet to the refrigerator door, and it would sit there for a week and two and three, and I'd wait to call to make the appointment, and I'm busy today, and I'll get to it tomorrow, and tomorrow never comes. And after about a month or so, I think, I don't need to do this. I'm feeling just fine. Who wants to go through that anyway and tear the thing up and throw it in the trash can? I did that three years in a row until eventually... My own laziness and stupidity caught up with me, and then when I was finally forced to go in and have a colonoscopy, the news was not good. Now, looking back on that experience, which was four years ago this no three years ago this December, I will tell you that by the grace of God, what was caught was caught early enough and on time. But for anyone out there listening saying, oh, I don't want to be inconvenienced like that, uh, (laughs) I got news for you. There's a bigger inconvenience waiting for you if you don't deal with it and deal with it in a timely fashion. We're joined now by Dr. Glenn Mollett. Dr. Mollett is a nationally and internationally recognized author. In fact, he's got 12 best-selling books to his name. He is the founder and president of Newborough Newburgh, rather, Seminary and College, a Christ-centered Bible-based seminary based in Indiana. But he joins us today not to discuss theology or apologetics, but rather this topic of colon cancer. And, Doctor, I appreciate so much you taking time to be with us today. How did this first get on your radar screen? Why, why, other than joining me today to talk theology or apologetics, are you discussing this topic? Craig, thank you very much for having me on your program uh, this afternoon. I was about 25 years old when my father was diagnosed with uh, colon cancer. And uh, as a young adult man, I saw the the pain that he went through as they had to remove a a rather large section of his colon. Uh, They did a uh, colostomy on him. I saw the... uh, the inconvenience and just the physical, emotional suffering that he went through. Uh, Very fortunately, uh, they were able to go back several months later and reconnect his colon, um, remove the colostomy, and he was able to resume a very normal life. Uh, But the pain that he went through, even when they were able to reconnect his colon, was really uh, as much physical suffering uh, as he went through when they did the the colon surgery on him and did the colostomy. And so I saw him go through at least about 12 to 14 months of physical suffering, being in the hospital a long time, recuperating, losing probably 50 pounds of weight, uh, and just barely escaping death. Very fortunately for him, he didn't have to go through radiation or chemotherapy which is just a really, I don't know, it's a miracle. He lived 25 years after that. Uh, but just uh, just the, uh, just seeing the, the, the suffering that he went through, 
Uh, my mother-in-law, when she was in her 40s, was diagnosed with colon cancer. They removed uh, so much of her colon that she had a, a colostomy, uh, which, of course, is where your, your bowel uh, it comes out the side of your stomach, uh, and they call it a stoma. Uh, and some people wear a bag. Uh, other people, some people do not. Uh, there's a cleansing process. Now, this sounds really bad to be talking about on the radio, but there's a cleansing process that you go through with that colon that she went through. It's called irrigation that she did every other day, and she did that for over 40 years. So, uh, as a young adult, I very unfortunately had a very close uh, and personal experience with people going through uh, colon cancer, and so I knew by the time I reached 50 years old, and really looking back now, I don't know why I didn't have my first uh, colonoscopy when I was 40, but everybody said 50. So when I was 50, I went to my first colonoscopy, uh, and they removed polyps at the age of 50, and I'm 63 now. If if I hadn't had that colonoscopy when I was 50, you know, I'm 63, you know, probably I'd be dead by now or in the final stages of, uh, you know, colon cancer. So... Um, yes, uh, at a very young age, I was introduced to uh, the problems that, that accompany uh, colon malignancy. I've had uh, high school friends that have already died, uh, young men in their early 50s who have already passed on because of colon cancer. Uh, I'm working with people right now in my office that are dealing with uh, uh, issues. I have a lady right now who's out on sick leave because of uh, having to have uh, a large section of her colon cut out and even part of her stomach. I don't know if she's going to be able to return to work. And, hey, it's just it's just all around us, as you're well aware. I think some people, you know, they, they hear about the, um, the examination and they think, oh, I don't want to go through that. And so it, it, this is an easy procedure to put off. You've heard the stories. And I will tell you, I'm, you know, full disclosure, um, uh, preparing for a colonoscopy is no fun. Uh, right. it, it's a day without eating and drinking a lot of stuff that's pretty awful. And uh, your, your day ends by spending an awful lot of time in the restroom. And, uh, you know, you're not a happy camper. And the first time I had mine done, uh, you know, I, I tried to come in and work. And, and by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, not having eaten since the day before, I was starting to get headaches. And i got to tell you, spending the day drinking nothing but apple juice is not a substitute for sitting down and enjoying a nice meal. And so I understand the reasons why people don't like to prepare to go through the procedure. You need to have somebody drive you. Most cases, you're, you're pretty well knocked out, so you have to have somebody to bring you home. And, you know, it, it kind of is a big inconvenience for an entire day. But I will tell you, um, looking back on this, that if you don't get that done in a timely fashion, and, and let me be quick to say, this is not just a warning for men, this is both men and women, that if you don't get it done in a timely fashion, the other procedure that you will have to go through is far more involved, extremely less pleasant, um, and uh, believe me, a choice between the two, if I could get into my time machine and turn back the clock, and it's interesting, Dr. Millett, in my case, uh, you know, right when I reached the age of 50, 
my doctor said, and I need you to go in and have this procedure done. And I put it off for three years, and at the age of 53, it caught up with me. And when it caught up with me, and I finally had a conversation with the doctor post-surgery, so what's your take on this? Well, chances are, had you come in at the age of 50, we would have caught it early enough. And instead of having colon surgery, where about 12 inches of my um, sigmoid colon was removed, uh, you would just have had the polyps removed, and you would have gone about your merry way, and and uh, life would have been good. Instead, you got to spend an entire week in the hospital, and I have a, a nice scar here that's permanently destroyed my bikini line. <laughs> but it's, you know, I, I, I was appreciative to the Lord that by God's grace, I was diagnosed with stage one. That meant surgery and done. For people that are diagnosed with stages two and three, that's going to involve chemotherapy, potentially radiation, and if it's a stage four diagnosis, ultimately it simply means doing what they can to slow things down, but eventually you will die from colon cancer. One of the things that that really shocked me, Dr. Millett, is the fact that while we don't like to talk about this and it's not a fun conversation to be had, to be sure, uh, colorectal cancer is the second leading cause of cancer death in America, and on average 50,000 people a year die from this. This is a pretty serious disease. Over 100,000 cases uh, will be at least, uh, it's more than that, I think, but at least 100,000 people are diagnosed every year with it. And it's, it's treatable. Uh, the polyps, you know, they previously are removable. Uh, now, my sister... Um, my sister, they went in, and uh, she had a, um, a polyp that was very advanced. And uh, they they cut that polyp out, and then they had to go back again. It was so embedded, and they scraped on that polyp. And they told her, they said, you know, we don't see any malignancy, but we cannot get all that polyp out. And so uh, her knowing my father's uh what he went through, she had. They went ahead and they removed about ten inches of her colon, and just for her peace of mind, she went through that surgery. You know, just she just didn't want to take the chance. But she had put off a colonoscopy for quite a while, and they, if she had had that done earlier, she could have avoided that surgery. So you're so right about that. And this is really a warning that, again, it needs to go out to everybody. And, you know, there's been some debate, too, with regards to ages. And they say, well, if, if you know, the average age at which um, colon cancer is diagnosed is in the 60s, why do you go in and have to have this procedure done as early as 50? Well, I'm proof positive of evidence as to why. And that is uh-huh. that if it presents early and you don't catch it, by the time you go in for the examination, uh, you're likely going to be diagnosed with stage four. It's going to be too late to do anything for you. And had I waited a couple of more years, uh, I might not be here, or I might be here, but not in very good shape uh, to tell the story. So not only being diligent about this, but doing it early, it sounds like even from your own experience and your family's experience really makes a big difference. Well, and as much as you went through uh, you're still one of the fortunate ones, Craig. Um, I mean, you went through a lot of suffering, that surgery and what have you, but you're so fortunate that it did not reach stage two or three. And uh, a lot of people, they think about um, the inconvenience of it. Uh, let me tell you just what happened to me here. My, I just had my little over a week ago. 
actually, I was able to eat. They changed things a little bit. I was able to eat until about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. The day before I had my procedure, which I don't know if I like that or not, but I had a light breakfast. You know, I had some, a couple of fried eggs and some toast. And I had a little bit of lunch. I mean, you're very restricted on what you can have. And I think, I can't remember what I had now, but it was just some simple protein and some more bread. And then I think I had another piece of toast about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, just plain peanut butter on it. Uh, so I, I wasn't in bad shape. You can have chicken broth. Uh, you know, clear liquids, you can drink Sprite, they'll let you drink Coca-Cola, uh, you can drink tea, black coffee. Uh, you can drink that, all that stuff right up until four hours before you have the procedure. It, it's, it's not that bad. Uh, now, I've had tests before when by the end of the day I was so weak I didn't think I could walk, but they, they changed it a little bit. About, about 5.30, I did drink this stuff, I think it's called Suprep, S-U-P-R-E-P, I think I'm saying that right, Suprep. And uh, that was it was six ounces of stuff that I mixed with uh, I think another maybe twelve or sixteen ounces of water. And I, I will have to say that this time when I drank that, I, I, I thought I was drinking the vilest stuff that I had <laughs> ever put in my mouth. I, I, I didn't think I, I've never ever put anything to my tongue or to my my mouth that ever tasted as bad as that. Taste. I thought, <laughs> Brother, I'm not yeah. laughing. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you because I know the feeling. You think to yourself, "Boy, this is it. If there if if there's a way of being served up poison, this is it." <laughs> I mean, like, how did they sit around in a laboratory or, or wherever they make this stuff and come up with something that tastes this bad? And so, you know, I, I, usually I can drink, you know, I, I don't have any problems with that. But I start drinking this, and I just, I tell my wife, I said, this is absolutely the most putrid, horrifying stuff I had ever put in my mouth. And so it was mixed with water. Finally, I got it down me. And I didn't really have any reaction to it. I mean, I didn't automatically have to go to the bathroom. Uh, you know, I sat around. I had a little bit of chicken broth later that night, drank a Sprite, you know, watched television. I kept waiting for this stuff to take effect, and it didn't. And so I go to bed, you know, about 11 o'clock. I had to, now I'm scheduled. I had to drink another one of these at like 2 o'clock in the morning. And, and that was the worst part, was just dreading having to drink another one of those things. And so anyhow, I get up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden it hits. And you know, I spent the next two and a half hours in the bathroom, uh, and, I, and I'm drinking this other uh, suplex. I'm getting that down, and you know, I'm, chug- I'm chugging that down. And so finally, you know, I'm scheduled to be at the hospital at 6.30. I, I finished up my bathroom duty probably by 5 o'clock, 5.30, and I'm finally finished with that. And so, you know, I go in, you know, to the hospital, and I'm there. And I am thinking as I'm on this, whatever they call those things, gurneys or whatever it is, they take you back into where they do the procedure. And I am thinking, my gosh, this is so, you know, inconvenient. And then I think, no, you know, this is a little bit of inconvenience, but nothing like having having to have part of your colon cut out or go through a costume or something like that. I mean... Drinking a little bit of putrid stuff and, and spending an hour or two in the bathroom is not that big a deal in comparison to being diagnosed with stage two, three, or four colon cancer. Now, some folks tuning in say, Craig, now you have lost your mind, guaranteed, fully went over the edge listening to this program, and you brought on a respected author and theologian and the uh, president of a 
Bible seminary and you're talking about colon cancer, let me tell you why. Because while we all in Christ have the promise of salvation and knowing that to uh, be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, as Paul said, and yet I don't know any of us that are in a rush necessarily. You know, I want to go to heaven, not not, not necessarily tomorrow. Um, and and this is certainly not a convenient way of going. So we're having this conversation today, hoping that for the persons or individuals listening that thought like I did three years ago, I don't want to be bothered with this. This is – they're going to – what? No, no, no. I don't need this. I feel fine. And then you get the diagnosis that you have cancer. And I didn't mention listeners, some listeners know this. I had buried my mother from ovarian cancer. She suffered with it for 14 years. I buried my mother in September, and I was diagnosed with colon cancer in October. So the big C word was already hanging over my head big time when suddenly I had to go from facing the fact that my mother died from cancer to now facing the fact that I've been diagnosed with cancer. God was gracious in so many ways. And I just want to say to you, if you've put this off, don't put it off. Because getting this done and getting it done early could literally save your life. At the very least, save you a lot of hassle. Because I tell you what, if you think this procedure, as Dr. Mollett has described it, and preparation for same is inconvenient, oh, you ought to try the surgery part. Oh, that's really a barrel of monkeys. Seven solid days in a hospital room and barely being able to get in and out of bed or get up and down out of a chair, certainly not without assistance for some time thereafter, with about a nine-inch zipper mark right at your belly button line. Not fun at all. All of that, in my case, could have been avoided if I just listened to my doctor. So I want you to listen to Dr. Millett. We're going to get back to more of the conversation. Jarrell is shaking his head like I'm crazy, but I tell you, you're a little little young for it yet. But when the time comes, you need to get it done, too. Every man and woman listening to this program needs to get it done. You think, well, I thought this was only something that men had to deal with. Oh, no. In fact, a very dear friend buried his wife, who had been diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer, just about a year ago. Wake-up call. Let's take a time out, get back with more as Lifeline continues. Nick, what's going on there traffic-wise? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Dr. Glenn Mollett is with us today. He is a nationally and internationally known author, number of best-selling books to his credit. He is also the founder and president of Newburgh Seminary, a Christ-centered Bible-based seminary based in Indiana. You can get more information, by the way. Uh, well, give us, if you would, if folks want to get more information about the school, uh, Dr. Mollett, what's the best way, what's the best um, website to go to? Yeah, it's real easy. Just go to Newburgh, and they, that's spelled N-E-W-B as in boy, N-E-W-B-U-R-G-H, seminary.com. And you can pull up our website. It has all of our degree programs on there, the cost of our tuition, which is extremely reasonable, uh, how you do the program. Uh, everything you need to know is right there on that website. So we, we always are delighted to hear from people that are interested in furthering uh, their studies for the Lord and uh, growing in the Christian faith. 
Absolutely. And, uh, you know, one of these days we'll have to get you back on to, to, to focus on apologetics and theology. Uh, but this is an important topic. And I know, as, as we both discussed, the ways in which it's touched both of our lives, that in many respects, this ought to serve. The folks eavesdropping on our visit today ought to serve as a real wake-up call, shouldn't it? Craig, let's face it, you, you hit on a, a reality, though, just a moment ago. It, it is appointed unto man once to die. It's going to happen to us. But uh, we also have some amazing tools out there to, uh, to lengthen our lives, uh, to take care of ourselves. Uh, we're not stupid people. God gives us minds. He gives us wisdom. We're to take care of ourselves. Uh, you know, we, we try to eat right, exercise, take care of ourselves. A colonoscopy is a wonderful procedure that has been introduced to our, our day and time that we can utilize to uh, increase our longevity in this world. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to live a long life. Now, if God takes us out when we're 20 or 50 or 60, you know, whatever it is. A lot of people, they never make it, you know, a year of life. And so, you know, I'm 63. I'm, I'm already very blessed with the years that God's given to me. But, you know, if, if I can, you know, serve the Lord and have an active life and, and watch my grandchildren grow up some and, and spend wonderful time with my uh, wonderful wife, and, uh, you know, contribute to this world and, and, and lead other people to Christ. And, and God put me in this world. He made me. He put me here. And, and if God has introduced procedures to us to uh, further and enhance our, our health, it, it behooves us to utilize them. And, and I think it's terribly, uh, uh, I think we're misusing uh, our knowledge and our time when we just, uh, we put off these procedures. We don't have them. We know they're out there, and we say, ah, you know, I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to fool with that. You know, it's basically saying, I'm not going to take care of myself. I'm not going to cherish the life and the health that God's given to me. And a colonoscopy is a simple uh, inconvenience for about a day and a half, it's really not even that long anymore. I-, I would say it's more like 12 or 14 hours. Uh, it's a little bit of inconvenience. It's uh, being in the bathroom, going to the hospital, you know, they put you out. I absolutely felt no pain whatsoever. I mean, they totally put you out. You wake up, you're a little groggy, you know, you're, somebody drives you home, you know, whoever takes you, your wife or a child or whoever, whoever takes you to the hospital. And I came home, I went to, I went to, I have to confess here, after I had mine done, I went to a restaurant, I ate almond and four pancakes. I was hungry. I will say that. <laughs> I definitely was hungry. And, uh, but you know, I went on, I had a good day that day, and it was the first time. Listen, I, I, this, this was my fourth colonoscopy, and this was the first time I had never had polyps. Every time before, I had had polyps. And, uh, those are the things that grow, become malignant, uh, they're cancerous. Those are the things that bring about death and take you out of this world. And uh, I, I just, man, when the doctor told me that, I just said, praise the Lord, you know. I was so grateful. Um, but I've had them three times before. And so, uh, you know, I, he told me, you know, come back in five years. I'll have another one done if I'm alive. Uh, I'll have another one done in five years. And I'm going to eat my fruits and vegetables and, um, you know, do what I can, do my part. I still may have polyps, but I'm going to go back, and if I have some there, hopefully they'll cut them out. And uh, I'll keep going. 
And, you know, at the end of the day, we are called to be stewards of all that God has entrusted us to. And this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit is included in that sphere, that realm of where we are required to be good stewards. Not to mention the fact that the kind of pain and suffering that you or your family would go through if you were diagnosed with colon cancer, as I said before, um, it's no picnic. And if you have to have it done, as, as in my case, being so fortunate to catch it in stage one, but still, surgery had me hospitalized for a week. There are months of recovery time. This is not a pleasant experience. Uh, in my case, though, it beats the alternative, and that is that I didn't require chemotherapy. And by the grace of God, I'll have many, many years ahead of me. I'll die eventually of something, but it won't be colon cancer, by the grace of God. But I'm just urging you, do the right thing, and do it early. And this is a, a warning, a clarion bell that's being rung for both men and women. Get the procedure done Everything comes back clean. You're very fortunate. If not, they can deal with it right then and there. If they find polyps, they remove them immediately. You don't come back for a second procedure, and it's over with. I'd like to thank Dr. Glenn Millett for being with us today, sharing his own experience. Dr. Millett, again, is the founder and president of Newberg Seminary. Information available on the web at newbergseminary.com. Thank you again, Dr. Millett, for being with us. Six o'clock, actually 6.01. Let's get caught up on some traffic here ahead of headline news, the latest traffic-wise with Nick in the KFAX Traffic Center. Hey, Nick. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.